Good morning. How are we? Yeah, good. I'm always interested in the people that see that as a rhetorical question, the people that answer. I'm an answerer, definitely. Um, it's good to see everyone this morning. As um, we've already said, my name's George. I help lead Trinity um, with a team and with, along with um, Johnny and Amy. And we've been, uh, we've been in a series for the last few weeks uh, on the parables, which has been amazing. As we said, today was going to be Vision Sunday, but Johnny sadly is poorly. Um, and so I'm preaching, you've got me instead, occupational hazard that when the boss is poorly, and you're a priest. Um, and yeah, so we're going to be taking communion today, and I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts on the passage that Christine just read for us before we do. But we've been in the series on parables looking at the stories of Jesus, and we've kind of been saying that the stories of Jesus were like ticking time bombs, like dynamite, that Jesus would teach about God, teach about the kingdom of God to his disciples and the crowds that were around him in ordinary everyday stories, stories that you, you could almost ignore because they seem so simple and so mundane, but hidden in these stories was a truth that was so explosive that people would walk off with them in their hearts and suddenly realize, ah, Jesus was talking about God. Jesus was talking about the kingdom. Jesus was talking about you and talking about me. And so as we come to the end of this parable series and are looking forward into vision over the next couple of weeks and, and, and reviewing where we're heading as a church and some of what God's doing and where God's calling us, there's an opportunity again today, whether it's for the thousandth time or for the first time, to just say yes to Jesus, to give ourselves into his hands. I've recently um, started watching with my wife Kate, Downton Abbey. Big up the period drama fans. Phil just threw a fist in the air as I said that. It's not very Downton, actually, um, ironically. For the, for the uninitiated, Downton Abbey is a, uh, a TV series set in England in the early 20th century based around um, a family called the Crawley family, who are this, these like, aristocratic nobles. And, and it's based around them and their daughters and this community of servants that uh, live, sort of work and live in the house and keep this massive house, Downton Abbey, running. But what's fascinating about Downton Abbey, as soon as you sort of tune in and watch even from the first episode, is that absolutely everyone has their role. Everyone has an identity. Everyone knows their place and their position and their job. You've got uh, the Lord and Lady and their daughters. You've got their benefactors and their heirs and their wider family. And then you've got the servant classes, the maids and the cooks and the valets and the butler and the chauffeur and the list goes on. Everyone knows their role. Everyone knows their place. But of course, if, if Downton Abbey was just about that, it would be a pretty boring program. What makes Downton Abbey such a good program, in my opinion, <laughs> is that underneath this kind of neat, tidy veneer of of work and job and status and social class, every single character in the program has the same fundamental question, which is, who am I? Who am I? What is my real purpose? How can I actually have freedom? Am I more than just the job I do? Am I more than just where I'm from, where I'm from or the position that society has put me in? Who am I? What is my true purpose? How can I have Freedom, for those of you who have watched Downton Abbey, chaos just ensues from there. It's glorious. But it's an, also an analogy for, for many of us, for our lives. You know, if you're anything like me, you have kind of the neat veneer of how you present yourself to the world. You know, what you do, maybe your accomplishments, 
some of the things you believe, maybe your political ideas. We have these neat, tidy roles and identities that we like to, to help people to believe in, at least I do, but under the, underneath, we also have the same questions. Why am I really here? Beneath the meaning that I, I, I sort of parade around, what actually have I been put on this earth to do? How can I really have freedom? How can I really find meaning? And our passage today is Jesus talking to the disciples and answering exactly those questions. That as Jesus spoke to the disciples, he said, well, all of these questions, all of these deepest yearnings that you and I have as human beings are actually found not in us creating meaning for ourselves, not in us grabbing to another role or to another accomplishment or to another identity that ultimately leads to dissatisfaction, but we actually find our identity and our purpose in Jesus. That we're designed and destined and, and engineered as human beings to be in relationship with God and everything else that gives us life, everything else that is truth and goodness flows from that. That we find our meaning, our purpose and our freedom, not in striving, not in just the next thing, not in just the next uh, tick box exercise, but we actually find it in surrendering ourselves to God. I hope that isn't a surprise for many of you this morning. But of course, this, uh, this, this, this searching within us, it's not, just, you know, it's not just a contemporary phenomenon. It's something that's been going on throughout all of human history. You know, we, as far as we know, we are the first and only species to ask questions about our own existence. You know, very few dogs or cats sit around having an existential crisis in the corner of the front room wondering, why am I here? Very few giraffes wonder what their identity in Christ might be. But we as human beings have been engineered to ask these questions. We have been created to ask these deepest questions. You know, as the Hollywood screenwriter Babette Buster puts it, we are narrative animals. That all of us, our brains, we are neurologically hardwired to find coherence in complexity, to build meaning around our lives. All of us, in, in the vastness and complexity and intricacy of life, try to find meaning. And, and without that, none of us would get out of bed in the morning, whether it's the smallest thing or whether it's a big metaphysical kind of meaning. Did I just use the word metaphysical? Oh, gosh. You know, I, I know it's just, you know, as, a, as an example, I, I remember for me, you know, there was, uh, I used to find my meaning. I didn't grow up a Christian or in a religious family, became a Christian as a teenager, and for a lot of my teenage years, my, my identity was, was really solely in the bands that I played in. I used to be a rock star, everyone. Come on. <laughs> Particularly on something called MySpace. And it's, uh, I, it shocked me in the last couple of weeks to realize that a lot of students now were not only born in the year 2000 or afterwards, but have no idea what MySpace is. MySpace was the Facebook of my teenage years. And on MySpace, you could put out bulletins and you created your own profile and you learned a bit of HTML to make your page look all cool. And you had a top eight, which was your favorite friends, which would change like daily. But, but in my friend groups, you also, if you were in a band, you would have your name on MySpace and then in brackets or with some kind of other cool punctuation point, put the name of the band you're in. So I was George Saria, just so you all knew I was in a cool band. I was George, hide and seek. George, elephants. I mean, there were better band names, I'll grant you that. But, <laughs> but the meaning I created for myself was so linked 
to what I was doing in the band I was in that you almost couldn't separate, or at least I wouldn't let you. But we have this sense, don't we, that the places we find meaning, the places that we create within ourselves to find purpose and life and truth, just aren't working. You know, maybe they work for like a short period, but then the kind of the high wears off and we have to just find something else. You know, culturally, one of the, one of the big things that we've been trying to do is, is, is say, well, actually, if we're completely free as a culture, if we're free from to do whatever we want, whenever we want, then we're going to find identity and meaning and truth. And actually, we see God as part of the problem, don't we? We see God and, as an oppressive force that has held us back from finding meaning. And so, actually, if, we just, if we're just completely free, we're all going to be okay, and, and the country is gradually going to float towards perfection, and society is going to be a utopia. <laughs> I would, yeah. But actually, we've been trying that for a few years now, and we're realizing that that kind of isn't working. That we've pursued this life and culture of limitless freedom, and yet levels of anxiety are higher than ever. There are more lonely people in our country than ever. We're famous, aren't we, as a country for having the first ever minister for loneliness. How tragic is that? You know, we, 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 had the, we put our faith in politics. If we were just completely free, it would finally lead us to this utopian society. And yet anyone who's had uh, BBC News alerts in the last three years on their phone will know that our politics is tragically divided. You know, we're the most uh, connected generation in human history, and yet more people than ever seem to struggle forming real, lasting friendships. We've been trying unbounded freedom, and it just doesn't seem to be working. And Jesus, in our passage today, if you've still got a Bible with you, let's open and read it together. In our passage today is talking to the disciples and providing an answer to this question. Why don't we read it again? Verse 24, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, there's so much we can say on this passage, but fundamentally, Jesus claims to have the exact opposite idea to our culture. That we don't find freedom by being free from all commitment, free from all limitation, free from anyone telling us what to do, or free free to do whatever we want, whenever we want. We actually find freedom by surrendering ourselves to Jesus. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Whoever gives their life over to me, whoever puts their life in my hands, will find true life. Jesus tells the exact opposite story. That it is in freedom, in him, that we find freedom. And this is, this is the gospel, by the way. If you're new to church, you know, this isn't just surrendering ourselves to a vague, unknown God who sits up on a cloud somewhere and he might be angry or he might be okay or he might be indifferent. Jesus, St. Paul writes, is the image of the invisible God, that Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. So when Jesus says, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it, says this isn't to an unknown God. 
This isn't to some random idea that you might have of God. This is to a God who loves you and knows you and longs for you to have life in all its fullness. Jesus, Jesus doesn't claim to be far off, but the, the, the theology that the Christians have is that God comes to us in the person of Jesus. As we sang earlier, when we were far off, he comes running to us to bring us freedom. But so many of us struggle to give ourselves over to God, not because we think God's too small, not because God's too small, but because our, our view of God is too small or too limited. And as we take communion in a few moments, the, the invitation really is to, the, really, the invitation to us is really what is our view of God? What is our concept of God? Do we believe in the God that Jesus Christ revealed, the God who gives himself to us, who hung out with the irreligious, the unrespectable, those who had no interest in God, no interest in religion? The person who, who, who touched the untouchables, who went with healing to people that society had cast out? The Jesus who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. Not just some kind of eternal, heavenly flourishing that we're promised, but can actually show us what it means to be fully human, fully alive now. The Jesus who shows us that love is about self-sacrifice. Not just what we can get, but how we give ourselves to others. Ultimately, the Jesus who brings us freedom by giving his own life for us. That is the invitation as we come to communion today. And in communion, we remember that, that Jesus died not just to bring us freedom, but to destroy our sin and our shame. Whether we say Jesus, yes to Jesus for the first time today or for the hundredth time, we know with certainty that we find who we truly are in him. You know, you may be here today, maybe you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been coming for a little while and you're still not sure what you think about all of this. But the question I think we're faced with when we come to communion, when we take the bread and the wine, which, which represents how Jesus has given his life, his body and his blood for you and for me, the question I think we ask is, have we really considered who Jesus is? You know, maybe you're in here today, maybe you've been hurt by the church, maybe you've written God off altogether. Is your idea of God really the God that Jesus Christ reveals himself to be? Are you in here today and do you think God is angry at you? Are you in here today and think that God is up there just waiting for you to slip up at any given moment? Jesus looks you in the eyes and says, that's not the truth. God is running after you this morning, longing to be in relationship with you, longing to bring you into his arms. It wouldn't be a sermon from me if I didn't mention prayer on the streets. But uh, every week we go out and um, pray for people around our city. A lot of you will know this. Some of you will even have uh, come with us. And we just spend half an hour, 45 minutes, going around uh, streets of Nottingham, round by the building, and just offering people prayer. This might sound really weird, we usually say, but would you like prayer for anything? And a couple of weeks ago, we bumped into a man uh, just down the road from here who had just that morning been released from prison. 
and we began talking to this man, and he said that he, he, wanted, he wanted prayer that he would keep on a good track. He's just been released from prison. He didn't want to end back up inside again. And he wanted prayer for his brother. And his brother tragically had died whilst he was serving his sentence. And so we prayed for this man and spent some time with him. And then after we finished praying, we began to talk and just say really simply, you know, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about God? Who do you think Jesus is? And we shared a little bit about our, our story and how Jesus had changed our lives. And at the end of it, this man said, oh, I want that. I want to know Jesus. If that's what God is like, I want to know God. And so we were able to pray for him again, and we, we, we prayed that and he, you know, he prayed that, he'd, that Jesus would come into his life, and we, we thanked him for the forgiveness that Jesus gave for all the people that he had hurt. And on that, court, and on that, uh, that pavement, this man gave his life into the hands of Jesus. And honestly, and I don't... I don't see this stuff often, but we looked up from after we finished praying, and this man's face was just shining. The smile on his face was just like ear to ear. He was missing loads of teeth, but it was a beautiful, beautiful smile. You know, it might sound cheesy, but that man experienced physical freedom that morning when he was released from prison. But in that moment of giving himself over to Jesus, he experienced true, actual, lifelong, everlasting, restorative freedom. This man didn't find that when he gave his life to Jesus, he was bound by rules and doctrines and ideas and tick boxes. When he gave his life to Jesus, suddenly real life filled his body. He suddenly experienced freedom, love, acceptance, joy. And that is what is on offer for us today. Should we take communion together?